welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. If you haven't already, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. On today's episode, I sat down with Alex Rodriguez, co-founder and CEO Embark Trucks. From becoming a world robotics champion in junior high to building self-driving truck technology to bring safety and efficiency to the trucking industry, Alex has robotics in his blood. He's driving the trucking industry forward, diving into the positive impact of ripple effects from shoring up the supply chain to getting drivers home to their families sooner. It's an exciting time to be in the industry, so let's jump in. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks for having me, Grayson. Super excited to have you here because you had the vision of autonomous trucks before a lot of people. You didn't pivot from robo-traxis to autonomous trucks. You saw the future of autonomous trucks, so I'm super excited to talk about that today. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, maybe I won't tell all the stories here on the podcast, but I have a lot of people uh, who told me that, that robotaxis made a lot more sense than trucks, and let's just say a lot of them are working on trucks these days. We're going to get into this in a few, but sir, you called the great pivot to trucking before many individuals even saw it. In 2009, as a junior high school student in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, you won a world robotics championship by assembling a three-foot-tall robot and programming it to put hockey pucks in a bin. What was the inspiration for... The robot, did you play hockey growing up as a kid? The hockey pucks were the, the specifics of the game. Every year there's a different game in this sort of competitive robotics world. Uh, and so you could argue that Canadians had a bit of an unfair advantage, you know, when the, they happened to pick hockey pucks as the game piece that year. Um, but no, it was, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of my background in robotics. I built 11 robots top to bottom. Uh, so I've done done a couple of these. Did you build one that can come clean my house by any chance? No, we'll uh, we'll have to have to put that on the to do list. Fantastic! I, I can't wait to, for you to bring uh, Susie from the Jetsons over here to to do wonderful things. So you win the championship. Was this the moment you decided to go all in on robotics and go down that robotics path? Uh, I've been all in for a while at this point. Um, you don't uh, you don't win a robotics world championship without having spent a good amount of time building robots already. So I was pretty committed uh, before, but I will say uh, it was a lot of fun. And at the University of Waterloo in 2015, you developed an autonomous golf cart with Michael Supkin. In an interview with the CTV about the project, you say the following. The objective of the shuttle is not to compete with cars. The goal is to take this technology and put it in a safer, easier to apply place and move people around in private, low-speed environments. This was the Voyage model two years before Voyage was founded. What did you see there with that? Was it the, the economics? Was it the, the not as challenging environments? What did you see? So we built that vehicle just to get the, the names on record. It was myself, Michael Scoopian, and Brandon Milk uh, who were involved in building that over the course of, uh, yeah, 2015. Uh, and that was eventually the first self-driving vehicle to operate on public roads in Canada. Myself and the uh, president of the University of Waterloo at the time. Uh, hopped in this golf cart and like drove around campus on public roads in self-driving mode, which is which is pretty cool. Um, you asked about the business model. I I would say that I I actually think this ties in very closely to the eleven robots I built over my time in the industry, which is that coming into self-driving, I wasn't coming in with fresh software engineer eyes. I was coming in with jaded robotics engineer eyes, uh, and so immediately I started looking for how can we narrow the scope down? How can we come up with the minimum required set of capabilities to get a vehicle that's commercially viable and can actually do work? Uh, and so 
you can actually see the through line, I think, from building a whole bunch of robots, one a year basically for competitive robotics for many years, uh, to building this self-driving golf cart and really dialing in on, yeah, it was, it was the same model that Voyage uh, eventually decided to adopt a few years later. And then eventually coming to trucks. Uh, and so it was, in my view, clear that that was a good model technically. What it wasn't a good model was business-wise. Uh, it had that good technical fit, but the business really didn't have the TAM, uh, didn't have the total addressable market that made it a, a good business and worth the investment, in my view. You could have saved investors billions of billions of dollars with what you just said. It's absolutely 100% spot on. Yeah, I think what a lot of people spent a lot of money uh, on people who'd never built a robot before, or maybe they'd built one or two. Uh, and slowly people are coming around to what it really takes to get these into production, and it is very different. Now we're seeing this, as I call it, the great pivot to autonomous trucking. You've had this experience of looking at the business model, the total addressable market, and say, wait a second, this, this doesn't work here. Why trucking? Did you see the total addressable market? Did you see the opportunity? And I'm going to say that you have an incredible runway of growth there for, you know, for the rest of our lifetimes. Yeah, trucking, it has two things going for it, maybe three things. Uh, the first one is the technical fit that I mentioned before. So when you sit down and you say, how can we pick a narrow set of capabilities that will actually be able to deliver value for a customer? You come up with a couple of options. Uh, there aren't that many, really. It's certainly not robo-taxis. Uh, and I think trucking is certainly one of the strongest because you can have a focus on highway driving uh, by leveraging transfer hubs. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into some of how that all works, but that's all, that's all stuff that Embark invented back in 2016, 2017, uh, and really set the stage for this industry to be able to, to, come, into, to come into its own. Um, the second thing, is the business itself makes a lot more sense. Uh, if you look at the business of self-driving trucks, it's a much larger market. So for comparison, the taxi plus rideshare business worldwide is about $150 billion at last count. And just in the United States, the for hire trucking business is 800 billion. So it's a much bigger business you're producing a lot more value on a per vehicle basis because you're, the, the trucks are moving 24-7 and they're much more valuable assets in the first place. You're a drop-in replacement where you're not trying to drive social chains. Like I always make the joke, robo-taxis will be huge. I am as big and as excited about robo-taxis as anybody else. Uh, but to get there, you have to convince my dad to give up his Audi. Uh, and that is not a trivial, not a trivial thing to do. Uh, so I think the, the fact that it's a drop-in replacement to a business-to-business -business transaction is really powerful. And then finally, the, the ability of a trucking-focused application to really come to market uh, pretty quickly. And so I think, yes, it's technically better, but it's also actually the biggest market for self-driving for the next 20 years. You are 100% correct. I want to point a couple things out today. There was a CBRE Richard Ellis report that came out today about the growth of e-commerce. It's been documented across that. Well, the goods that you're buying for your children or, or my children or for gifts or friends, they go on trucks. 
you're hauling a refrigerator, you're remodeling your house, you're moving, it goes on a truck. The, the amount of runway you have is incredible. And I want to, and I'm going to harp on this and I'm going to point this out a lot, but I want to state that it was so smart from day one, you were focused on trucking. You weren't trying to take a universal driver focused on robo taxis and put it into a truck. Why trucking day one? Was it pure the commercial market? Let me see, Grayson, if, if you'd built 11 robots and tried to take them into production scenarios, you too would tr- not start with something general purpose. I think it's that simple. Uh, and then, yeah, the business is amazing. And I think the other piece is that it really solves a real problem for people. Uh, people want this now. There's a huge driver shortage in the industry. You got that mismatch between aging demographics and people not coming in and then massively increasing demand for fast, reliable deliveries. And so there's a big pain point of the driver shortage and of quality of life for driver jobs. And we're actually able to come in and create the kind of job that attracts the next generation of trucker. That's local jobs that go to and from the transfer hub and then sleep in their own beds, stay close to their families. At the same time as we increase the leverage of that worker pool to improve the ability of our logistics network to work for the whole economy. And that's the other piece of the story that people, uh, I, I like that you talked about all the different things that go into building a driverless or that, that come on a truck. Uh, and when I think about it from the impact that we have by improving trucking, it's not about the trucking industry on its own. It's about making produce last longer because it gets to the shelves three days earlier in the overall in the time it's been picked from the field it's about making medical supplies arrive faster it's about making american manufacturing more competitive and so the impacts downstream on the rest of the economy are actually gigantic you're shoring up the supply chain you're creating high paying jobs you're having a positive impact on the family dynamic no longer will a mother or father be gone for three four days at a clip, they'll be, you know, they'll go on this run and they'll come home. They can have dinner together. They can go to church. It's like it's a two, three weeks. <laughs> and so look at the positive impact that it's going to have. And you, you've really alluded to this transfer hub model a lot. Can you dive into detail about that, please? The way that you're able to focus the problem for self-driving trucks is to focus on highway driving and then you basically have, we call it a transfer hub. There are you know, slightly different ways people have approached it. But Embark really set up this idea back in 2017. And the idea is you have a parking lot where the, near the highway on the way out of the city. And you have the first and last mile being driven by, uh, being driven by a regular truck with a driver. And that does two things. It allows all that different city driving, all the urban parts of the process can be done by a human. You don't have to worry about that. It also means that from the perspective of the shipper, they're still getting a pickup and a drop off from a person. And so there's a lot of other work, quite frankly, that the driver does besides just urban driving. And this makes it totally seamless. And then the driverless truck is able to just grab the trailer from the transfer hub near the highway and then shuttle it sometimes 200 miles, sometimes 1,000 miles down the freeway and drop it off at the destination city to then have the last mile done again by a regular truck with a driver. And I'm assuming, for the record, those drivers are all CDL license holders? Of course. Brilliant. 
So you're not you're not you're not cutting corners on safety. So you you've got you've intelligent drivers, some of the smartest, best drivers in the world with CDL licenses. What partnerships are, are needed to to scale this? So this is where Embark has really started to take some pretty big steps towards actually commercializing the technology. Uh, so we've partnered with Anheuser Busch, which is a, a a very large and forward-leaning shipper, uh, and then. They obviously spend a lot of time thinking about their carrier network and how to build this stuff out. Uh, and then we've partnered with three of the top 25 truckload carriers. Uh, so that's Werner, as well as Bison, Messia Valley Transport. So the, and these are all very forward-leaning fleets that we're spending a lot of time with as part of our partner development program to work on commercializing our technology so it can actually operate inside their fleet. Uh, and that's just the beginning for us. We see this model as being the way to bring it to market. So Embark is not going to be a trucking fleet, to be totally clear. We don't want to build trucks and we don't want to operate trucks. What we want to do is be a software company that builds really high quality software and licenses it to carriers that we build those relationships with. And so Embark, on on the one hand, we're coming in to transform an industry, to improve an industry, but I sometimes, hesitate to say that we're coming in to disrupt the industry. We're coming to augment the industry. We're not trying to to replace the existing players. We're trying to bring them solutions that allow them to deploy this tech and, and hopefully be a lot more efficient. And then on that, you can possibly lower the cost of good ships. We'll have a positive impact on you know, millions of Americans around the United States. The U.S. Department of Transportation actually did a study. I don't know if you, you saw this came out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's just it's what's, it's what we it's what we need. With, with without autonomous trucks, this whole this whole supply chain collapses. So they took a look, yeah, at the impact on the overall supply chain. Like once you look outwards to the rest of the economy, and USDOT estimated that the long term impact of the deployment of driverless trucks will be an average annual increase in earnings of two hundred dollars per worker in the United States. That goes a long way. That goes an extremely long way. Think about this then. You know that individual driving that truck can save it to send their child to a better college, or, or or possibly move into a better neighborhood to send them to a better school. It's it's the impact on the economy is incredible, but the impact on the the family life is just going to be absolutely tremendous. Absolutely. Why why just highway driving? Why not try and go the whole way, urban roads, highways? Why just highway driving? Focusing on a specific set of capabilities allows you to not get bogged down in the long tail, and it allows you to come to market rapidly. So I wouldn't say that Embark will never expand our capability set. I I expect that we'll actually continue doing research and development and expanding what the trucks can do long after the first commercial deployment. That said, our focus initially is on transfer hub to transfer hub, highway driving, which we think can be a, a strong, credible business and provide a real commercial application for the technology. I would say that you see some people coming into the trucking space, but not adopting the trucking mindset. If you think about that, the original purpose of the original purpose and the reason that Embark got into self-driving trucks was because I took that experience from building more than 10 robotic systems. And I said, the thing that's required to succeed in robotics is 
a well-defined, narrow set of capabilities. Don't try to do everything. Just try and do a very specific set of things. And so you see, you, you talk about the great pivot to trucking. A lot of people are pivoting and adding trucking in terms of a business that they want to enter. But that's not the same thing as pivoting to trucking and focusing on a narrow set of capabilities, uh, which is fundamentally the reason to be in the space in the first place. So uh, I think that, that that's the reason for us. Start narrow, expand out. I call it the iPod model. Uh, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. Yeah, because then you start with the original iPod, then you add the, the and then the iPod added the screen, and then you went to the phone. That's so right. totally makes sense. And you, this raises the question: Can a universal driver work, or is it a complete waste of resources? No, I believe I believe in a universal driver. To be clear, um, if you think about think about Embark as the iPod business model, the iPod business model is still at the end of the day focused. Well, not focused on, but it doesn't mean you don't believe in the iPhone. The iPhone is kind of your general purpose, does everything mobile device. The iPod business model says, let's not try and build an iPhone and then take that hardware and like smush it into individual single purpose applications. Let's just build the iPod. Let's ignore everything else. And then things will continue to improve. And I would say, obviously, there's a little bit more differentiation here. I think that the people who are successful in the trucking industry will stay that way. I don't think that a general purpose driver will be able to come in in late in the game. I don't think it's because of technical limitations, though. It's rather going to be driven by the manufacturing, carrier relationships, shipper relationships, business model. So there's just a lot of go-to-market work to build trust and relationships with the industry. It's the same reason that the car OEMs and the truck OEMs even though they share a common base of technologies, are not in general the same companies. Uh, so do I think that these will be separate industries? Yes. Do I think that eventually there will be autonomous vehicle technology that works in most, if not all applications that is sort of common? Yes. Do I think the right way to get there is to start by building that general purpose solution and then kind of lobotomizing it as if that was the same thing as being focused? Uh, no. Because you bring up the good point around culture. The trucking industry culture is completely different than the OEM culture. There's different personalities that we've all experienced in this industry and a different way of doing business. And you're re really smart to focus narrow. You got the basic iPod. And for the record, the battery life on the thing was horrible. And then you... <laughs> and then you work your way up to where you had a good battery. Um, and there is, it's funny, uh, since you're from Canada, I'll tell you this thing. There's Burton Cummings, the, the lead singer of the Guess Who. And so Burton's been a, lo a longtime friend. And when Burton was on the road, he would travel with 32 iPods for the music. Like, that was his thing. Like He loved the iPods. And then when everything went to the the, uh, the cloud, he's like, well, he calls me Grey Brule. Grey Brule, I don't understand. I, I need my bag of iPods because I've got all my tracks on there. And it's incredible how everything evolved around the iPhone. And there's a lot of technical advantages that, that Apple's broken through. They've gotten, as I said, longer battery life, better user interface. And one of the technical advantages that Embark's doing, you don't rely on maps. How and why? Embark has maps, to be clear. But we use them the way that a human uses them. Uh, we, in, by which I mean that 95% of the time the truck is looking at the road and it's actually getting all the data it needs to drive 
based on looking at the road geometry and, and the vehicles in its LIDAR and camera and radar sensors. And then it takes that and it looks at the map and it actually in real time adjusts the map uh, to match what it's seeing in, on the road. And what this means is that it actually has a, it creates what we call a locally consistent, globally consistent view of the world, where the view of the world nearby is primarily driven by what's coming off the sensors. And then it lines that up with the map. It goes, oh, what lane am I in? How does that look? And it uses that to get an understanding of the road one, two, three, four miles away uh, and be able to make long-term plans. And so it's, it's not that you don't use a map, but we drive the way a human does. We do what we call vision map fusion. And that makes our system very robust instead of being sort of making this very brittle assumption that the map is always right. What happens if autonomous truck relies too heavily on a map? So the reason that we, we went with this approach is simply that it's more consistent, it's more robust, and it's subject to fewer some weird edge cases. Because you're looking at the road and you're getting that information directly. And so you don't have to make a whole bunch of assumptions uh, to get this to work. And it ends up being very, very reliable. When you look at assumptions, a lot of state DOTs are making assumptions of how are these going to operate on our highways? What's going to happen? And Embark has a partnership with Arizona DOT for work zones. Will you please kindly talk about that partnership and how it looks to both sides? So we're really excited to be working with Arizona DOT on this. Embark is the first company to publicly demonstrate work zone handling as a piece of our self-driving truck tech. And we think that's obviously a very important part of actually commercializing the technology. And so we've been, Arizona DOT agrees and has consistently been a leader in, uh, in, in as, as a government in pushing this technology forward and getting it ready to be on the road. And so we're working together on getting access to the data streams that government already has about what's going on uh, on the road at any given time. And we see those data streams as being very valuable for driverless vehicles. Now you aren't, like I said, you're not gonna rely just on that. You obviously need to see what's going on in real time from your sensors, uh, but certainly that, that extra data stream is extremely useful and something that uh, we see as being very, very helpful to integrate in and make self-driving trucks even safer and more reliable. So this is obviously a big problem uh, from Arizona DOT's perspective, work zones are a very dangerous place where a lot of accidents happen. And so it's a great opportunity to leverage the power of autonomy and leverage their existing data streams to make, make this a lot safer. It, it seems to me that you're also developing a huge layer of trust between the DOT and yourself as the operator. Is that true? Yeah, we've been working with Arizona DOT and a lot of other uh, government regulators. We try to keep open lines of communication. We try to be very collaborative. We found that approach to be, be pretty successful. And recently you've taken another incredible approach to the market. It's gonna be extremely successful for you with the Embark Universal Interface working with four different OEMs. You said, okay, I'm not gonna put my eggs in, in this one Easter basket. I'm gonna put it in a whole bunch of Easter baskets. Will you talk about that and what's the strategy behind that approach? Embark, as I mentioned earlier, Embark's go-to-market approach is partnering with carriers, which is pretty differentiated to from uh, sort of some of the other ways people have tried to go after this problem where they're really trying to be the fleet. And so once we sat down and started talking to carriers, 
it became very clear that something that was very important to them is being able to have multiple sources for a lot of their key components. And obviously trucks are one of those. Uh, and so it became very clear that carriers don't want to switch which OEMs they currently use to, to put 100% of their eggs onto a single OEM basket. And so that informed our approach then. We're saying, well, if we're going to sell to carriers, we need to be able to offer them a product that they can use with their existing approach of, of multi-sourcing uh, of multi-sourcing their vehicles. And so from there, we started developing the Embark Universal Interface. I'll call it the Embark Universal Interface IP. So I think there's a lot of ambiguity. It would be very easy to sort of misunderstand exactly what this is supposed to accomplish. Um, we don't want to build trucks. I said that earlier. I'll say it again. Uh, instead, what we see this as is building a set of standardized sensor and compute modules that are designed very intentionally from the ground up to have flexible interfaces that can adapt to work easily and integrate quickly without the OEMs having to change the drive-by-wire interfaces that they're building out for their vehicle. And so instead of going to the OEM and saying, build this for us, this is what we need, Embark Universal Interface takes the opposite approach. It says, we invested in developing this IP already. It's already been built out and it's, it's common and it will work with what you've already built. Uh, and so we see that as being a, a unique approach and it is designed to work across all four major OEMs. And then that allows us and our carrier partners to have that conversation when the OE says, okay, we want to have a couple of different options that carriers can purchase. It's a very easy conversation for us to then say, here are the major carriers that want this set of hardware. And it's not going to require you to redesign the truck. It's going to require you to take a, this standardized set of IP and just make it available to the people who want to buy it. And so what, this is another sort of piece of the Embark approach when we say, uh, we're not trying to replace the OEMs or replace even the tier one suppliers, but we're trying to augment them. And so that means we built a bunch of IP, it's designed to work with, without requiring them to change things, and then we're giving it away. We're not going to make money on the Embark Universal Interface IP. Uh, rather, it's a basis that allows, uh, allows our customers, the carrier, to then be able to get the hardware that they need and then eventually um, license the software directly from Embark. So I'm Acme shipper, carrier, and I, I have a relationship with Acme OEM. Do I call you? Do I call uh, the head of Universal Interface? How do I get this technology into my trucks? What does that process look like? The Embark Universal Interface is the starting point of a conversation with manufacturing partners. And so we don't intend to, to build 10,000 of them and, and ship them out. We see this as uh, a, a first step in the process of integration that's designed to make things very easy for both ourselves and for the, the OEM. When instead of sort of tying all the hardware together in a very, in a very brittle way where everything assumes, uh, where you make a lot of assumptions and then you can't move things between OEMs or, or between AV suppliers. And so, so the way that this actually gets deployed is... Embark and our carrier partners 
work with building out manufacturing relationships. And so over the, the next couple of years, you should expect to see manufacturing capacity uh, be available for this product. And then at the end, our involvement is really providing these standardized components, working with the OEMs, making sure that it can be integrated. And then at the end, you want the carrier to be able to make that final decision, right? If you look at any other component in the trucking industry, trucking is quite a bit different than the car industry. Uh, is probably like something worth uh, explaining a little bit of. The vast majority of components on a truck have two or three, sometimes four different suppliers that you can purchase them from. And that just that doesn't just mean that the OEM is able to purchase them differently. It's actually the fleet that makes the decision. So when the OEM has a sort of a body and then they have relationships with all these different components that they've integrated in a modular way, a few different options for, and then the fleet will decide, uh, I would like Dana axles and a Cummins engine on this truck. And then in another case, they might say, okay, I actually want, uh, I actually want the, the Packard MX engine instead of the Cummins engine in the same truck. This is not a different model of truck, right? And so the, the option packages, if you think about it that way, for a class eight truck actually include different component suppliers for the different key components. And so the way we see this working is Embark builds out, so it starts with the universal interface IP and establishes manufacturing relationships. But those don't decide where the, like how many trucks get built. What decides how many trucks get built with EUI is carriers going in and saying, I want to buy the truck with this option pack. It's another reason why trucking is completely different from the automotive business. I really appreciate you you clarifying that for the listeners with over 100 million raised to date, your, your company's maturing, you're growing. How are you positioning the company for commercialization? Because you've got this universal interface, which is probably going to take off like hotcakes. But what's the, the overall commercialization strategy? Yeah, so our commercialization strategy, and, and to the best of my knowledge, this is sort of the first time that someone sat down and put a flag in the ground on this. Embark's business model is to partner with carriers. And so that means that we develop our software and we license it directly to the carrier. Uh, and you can think of the business model uh, a little bit like Sirius XM radio, where the carrier needs to have a certain set of hardware in the vehicle in order to purchase the subscription from us. Uh, and we, we license it on a per mile basis to to, to be clear. And so the carrier needs a certain set of hardware in the vehicle in order to purchase a per mile subscription. Uh, and so Embark also is putting work in to make sure that it's possible for them to buy trucks with the correct hardware. But we don't make our money there and we don't see our business developing there. We create IP, we establish manufacturing partnerships, we support uh, the, the industry in making this easy and seamless to do but we don't want to compete with the OEMs in the long run. And so the business model ends up being partnering directly with carriers, leveraging their skill set and their relationships with shippers to be able to deploy at scale quickly. Because frankly, the carriers have a lot of expertise that I do not, uh, and I don't plan to, to develop it. Um, they're really good at being very efficient, at knowing how to handle 
negotiations with the shippers, at getting the most uptime out of the vehicles. And those are very important skill sets that Embark, quite frankly, is not as good as the big carriers at. And so instead we build that partnership, everybody brings something to the table. Uh, and they're sort of the one that actually it own the shipper relationship and move the freight at the end of the day. I love, love, love all the analogies. Sirius, the the iPod. I mean, you're you're on a home run here. I'm gonna see if I can get a third one out of you before we wrap. Do the carriers are they the most influential group in the trucking ecosystem? The carriers are the ones who make the decisions about most of the actual logistical choices. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're the most influential. I think depending on what we're talking about, um, the different players all have something really important to play, right? One example would be there are far fewer OEMs than there are carriers. Uh, and the OEMs make bigger investments on a dollar basis to enable the set of component, the set of options that are that are there on the truck. Um, and so those investments are very important. Uh, but at the end of the day, when it comes to selecting what trucks to buy, selecting what parts to have on them, selecting what routes to run them against, that's the carrier who runs all those decisions. Well, thank you for that insight. I'd love to know, what is the future of Embark? Embark is going to be commercializing driverless truck software. Uh, nothing, nothing more or less than that. Uh, so we have spent a great deal of time sort of getting the tech to where it is today. Now we're really excited to start focusing on how do you commercialize the technology and make it available broadly uh, to the logistics industry. And so I think we'll be here in the trucking industry, focusing on building the best self-driving trucks for a very long time. Uh, and doing it in a collaborative way where we know what we're good at and we make sure to bring to the table uh, a great set of software and a partnership mindset that works with the carriers, works with the OEMs to do what they're good at as well. You're going to work with the entire ecosystem, which is absolutely brilliant and smart because you're not, you're not picking, as, a, as Mayor Mirish of Beverly Hills once said, you're not picking winners and losers, so I have to give you a lot of credit for that. I'd love to know, when will Embark achieve driver out? That's the, that's the magical question for sure. I uh, haven't yet said something publicly about it, but you'll, you'll probably be hearing stuff pretty soon. When you like to say something publicly about it, we, we'd love to have you back on the SAE podcast because you've shared this incredible insightfulness to the world of trucking that very few individuals have. And so thank you enough for that. And Alex, as we, we look to wrap up this conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? First off, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So uh, thank you so much for having me here. I would say the the key insights that I think I want people to take away are driverless technology. While there was a lot of hype uh, in in different different uh, segments of the market, there are those of us who have known all along, who built a lot of robots before we ever got into self driving who knew that this was going to be hard, knew it was going to be methodical, but at the same time knew that it is just a matter of when, not a matter of if. Uh, and that I think we're getting to a point in the industry where pragmatism and commercial reality are the leading factors. Uh, and so 
driverless trucks, in my view, are going to be first. They're going to be massively impactful and they're going to make your life better before you see driverless cars doing it. Uh, they're going to improve the fuel efficiency and environmental impact of a major industry. They're going to save a lot of lives and they're going to improve the quality of life of drivers who are able to stay closer to home and be at home with their families every night. And so a really exciting time in the industry. And I'm excited to have a lot of the things that we've been saying since 2016, really starting to uh, really starting to come out into the, the world. You know, as we heard Alex say here on the podcast, autonomous trucking is on a clear path to commercialization, revenue, and profitability. Not only that, it's good for investors, but it's going to be good for society. It's going to increase the quality of family life. It's going to lower the cost of goods shipped. And as we heard today on the podcast, tomorrow is today. Today is tomorrow, and autonomous trucking is the future. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the SE Tomorrow Today podcast. Thanks for having me, Grayson. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to tune in next week to hear from Aaron Spring, Senior Director of New Ventures for Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, as we discuss the new ways rubber is hitting the road. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.